Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 120th program in this series. In the previous message, I was in John chapter 19. Pilate just had Jesus beaten up severely, and he brought Jesus out to the people with hope that they would recognize that Jesus was practically tortured for no legitimate reason whatsoever, and that this occurred because of their actions, that they had succeeded in getting Jesus beaten up like this. And Pilate apparently presented Jesus with the hope that this would satisfy them, that obviously Jesus had offended them in some way. He made them feel bad. But that was about it. He didn't really do anything to these people at all. But Pilate had him beat up and taken out to the people with hope that this would be accepted as an adequate means of revenge that these people were probably seeking because Jesus made them feel bad. But this was not enough. In verse 6, Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And I explained in the previous messages that this was not permission. This was just simply a defensive reaction to what they were trying to get him to do. And he did not want to execute someone who was obviously innocent. He had done nothing that would justify execution. And Pilate was concerned about what could happen if he executed an innocent person. Some of the Jews might decide to revolt because he executed someone who was innocent. Caesar might have an issue with Pilate because Pilate executes someone who is innocent as well. So Pilate had a lot to be afraid of in this kind of circumstance. If he just let Jesus go, well, then he could have some new problems because Jesus was apparently involved in sedition. But then in verse 7, the Jews added to these concerns, and they told him that this is a religious guy, that this guy has committed blasphemy by declaring himself to be the Son of God. Now, there is no law in the Mosaic Law that says that if you say you are the Son of God, then you have committed blasphemy. This is an extrapolation. It is an interpretation and extrapolation from the Scriptures with regards to what the prophets said about the Messiah. Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. The scriptures did indicate that this would be God manifested in the flesh. And so they were leveraging this by trying to declare that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. But this did not inspire Pilate. Instead, this made him more afraid. Because if you have a guy who has obviously done nothing wrong, and he is also considered to be a righteous man, a holy man, a religious man of some kind, then chances are he's got a lot of friends, 
and these friends may not be represented in this crowd, this increases the likelihood that there could be a revolt from what Pilate decides to do if he decides to crucify Jesus. So he was more afraid than he was before. That was verse 8. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. And then in the previous message, I explained the following verses to verse 11. Now, in verse 12, Pilate finally makes a decision. In John chapter 19, verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And that, of course, is not true, that whoever makes themselves a king speaks against Caesar. Jesus made it perfectly clear to Pilate that he was a king, but he was not a king of this particular region that was under the control of the Romans. There were lots of kings in the world, and they did not speak against Caesar just by their existence. Caesar was not the only power in the world. He was not the only king in the world. There were lots of other kings, and he made agreements with these other kings. He could maybe make an agreement with Jesus if Jesus had something that he had an interest in. That was not the issue. This is just something that they are making up. But what was an issue was that they said, we are going to tell Caesar that you're not his friend. And this would be a serious problem, especially because in every government, in every time of history, there is always some measure of opposition to the ruling power. There was always a measure of opposition, and there were situations that were always taking place within the Roman Empire, even at this time, that would make Caesar concerned about who was really loyal to him and who wasn't. And the people were telling Pilate that if he doesn't crucify Jesus, they are going to notify Caesar that Pilate is not his friend and that he's not loyal to Caesar. And then Pilate's going to be in some real serious trouble. So what this becomes is this becomes extortion. The religious leaders tell Pilate that Pilate is going to do what they tell him to do, or they are going to hurt him. They're going to communicate with Caesar, and Caesar will hurt Pilate on their behalf, in effect. And so what you see here is an act of extortion. You will do what I say, or I will find a way to hurt you. They could also potentially use blackmail. I explained this at the end of the previous message, that they could perhaps use blackmail if he doesn't crucify Jesus by saying, well, if you don't crucify Jesus, if you decide you're not going to do that, don't worry, we'll come back later and we will remind you that you didn't crucify Jesus even though we think he was guilty of sedition. And now you are going to do what we tell you to do or we will now notify Caesar that you're not really his friend. That's blackmail. That's taking advantage of a mistake that somebody makes or a bad decision that somebody makes. And it will be used against this person in a manner such as this, as I just described as an example. And then Pilate will really suffer. 
These are two very popular ways to understand corruption that happens in any government. Throughout history, this has been an issue. These are two ways that government gets corrupted in some manner. Extortion and blackmail. There are two other ways that government tends to be corrupted as well. One of them is bribes, bribery, where people are just given money in order to make decisions, to do something, or to maybe not do anything. That's considered to be bribery. There's another way that people can experience corruption, and that's with payoffs. Payoffs are different from bribery because they tend to be legitimized in some way. For example, in the modern era that we are in, you may find some very popular politicians going on speaking engagements after they leave office. They will go and they will speak somewhere to some corporation or some organization, and they will be paid an enormous amount of money to talk to people for maybe 30 minutes or an hour or something like that. And it doesn't even matter what they have to say. Chances are they're not going to say anything of any real profound value or great importance. That's not the issue. The issue is that this is a payoff for decisions that they made probably years prior. There are other forms of the payoff, such as favoritism when it comes to business contracts and business arrangements. For example, if there is work that I need to have done, I need somebody to do this work for me, I have a tremendous amount of influence and power because I can decide who's going to do this work for me. And I can offer a payoff to a politician by suggesting that if they make a decision that I want them to make, well, they can form a business later and I'll engage that business with the work that I need done and I will pay that business. Or I will pay one of their friends who has a business that provides these kinds of services. That's an example of a payoff that enables corruption within a government. So you have extortion, blackmail, bribes, and payoffs. Those are the four fundamental ways that there is corruption within any governmental system. And this is a governmental decision made by the governor, Pilate, who is going to execute Jesus because of extortion. This is what he does in verse 13. This is John chapter 19, verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. Now I'll come back to the preparation day of the Passover in just a moment. But he presents Jesus. He says, okay, I have heard your threats. You are extorting me. This is effectively what Pilate has done. He has responded to the extortion, the extortion threats. And he just goes out to the judgment seat and brings Jesus out and says, Behold, your king. Now, what he's doing is he's making a public declaration that Jesus is recognized 
as the king of the Jews, and that this is potentially an act of sedition. So he's going to hold this public event in order to make it obvious and clear to everyone. Everybody is now in agreement that we are going to decide that Jesus is considered to be a king of the land and that we are concerned about a revolt. We believe that he's engaged in an act of sedition. Behold, here he is. That's what he does. In verse 15, but they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. What Pilate did was he made this a public event to say that the people are recognizing that Jesus has somehow committed a crime according to Roman law. He is going to proceed with the judgment that should be executed in this case. And he decides that Jesus is to be crucified So he turns Jesus over to the proper individuals, and they go and crucify him. So Pilate follows the necessary steps in order to protect himself. This has nothing to do with Jesus at all. It has everything to do with Pilate trying to protect himself from the people who are extorting him. That's what this is. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It has nothing to do with him being a king or not being a king. It has everything to do with the fact that the people found a way to threaten Pilate with such severity that he went ahead and he executed someone who did not deserve to be executed for any reason whatsoever. So they led him away. Verse 17, and he bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The reason why he posted this sign was because he had to protect himself. He was protecting himself. He put a public sign, a public notification to everyone that this is the reason why Jesus is going to be crucified. Because of sedition. That's effectively what this is. This is a public sign for Pilate to protect himself from anyone there in the population who might decide to try and revolt against the Romans because the Romans just crucified an innocent person, a religious guy, a holy man, the one who was recognized as the Messiah just a few days earlier as he went into Jerusalem on a donkey and the whole community went nuts over that. 
He is posting a sign so that everyone knows that there was a legitimate decision that was made according to sedition, according to Roman law. So there should not be any revolt from anybody. In addition to that, if Caesar wants to investigate what's taking place here, there is a sign, a public sign that's posted to say that this is why Jesus was executed. So Pilate is providing himself some protection from the people who did not want Jesus to be crucified. He was providing himself with some protection from Caesar, who might get a little bit upset about him crucifying an innocent person, someone who didn't deserve it, who did nothing wrong. And now, because of what has just happened in the judgment, the people have officially told him that they'll stand by him, that they will testify on his behalf and say, yes, this man declared himself to be the king of the Jews. We will testify on behalf of Pilate because he's going to perform this murder for us. Their part in this agreement is that they will testify on behalf of Pilate in the event that Caesar performs an investigation. So Pilate posts this sign in order to protect himself from all of the risks that he is facing that has made him very much afraid, as was described in chapter 19, verse 8. In verse 20, John chapter 19, verse 20, then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. You see, if he changes this to say that Jesus said that he was the king of the Jews, well, this would imply that he wasn't really the king of the Jews. We just have someone here who has some mental confusion. Or maybe this person is suicidal. Or maybe he's trying to protect somebody else in some way. Someone else who asserted themselves as the king and now he's trying to protect them by claiming that he's the one who presented that suggestion. Maybe that would be the case. There were many ways that this saying that he was the king of the Jews could be interpreted. If he was just saying it, well, then he's just saying it. So what? What's the big deal? Is he really involved in any act of sedition just by saying, oh, you know, I'm the king of the Jews. Well, good for you. You know, good for you. How nice. Thank you for telling me this. You know, I have lots of things to deal with today, and this is just not something that I consider to be important. You making this announcement about yourself. Well, if that's who you are, if that's who you think you are, good for you. That means absolutely nothing unless somebody actually engages in something that is wrong. And so what these religious leaders were trying to do was that they were trying to separate themselves from Jesus as much as they could and potentially have a way of blackmailing Pilate. That's what could easily happen because if he crucifies a man just because he says that he's somebody, well, this is not appropriate. They would have a way that they would be able to blackmail Pilate before Caesar by saying, look, Pilate just murdered this guy 
who just said that he was the king of the Jews. So, yes, they were offended by the idea that Jesus would be acknowledged as being someone of importance, that he would be acknowledged as being their king. And, of course, he was as the messianic king, but they did not want that to be legitimized in any way such as this, such as a public sign posting this kind of a description. But if Pilate gave in, they would still have a means through which they could exercise blackmail against him. So he does not change the sign. He just leaves it the way it is. He says, look, what I have written, I have written, and that's the end of it. There is nothing more to say, nothing more to do. This is the end of this issue. And from there, there is nothing more that the religious leaders need to talk with Pilate about concerning Jesus. Now, going back to John chapter 19, verse 14, it mentions here, now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. Now, I explained in a previous program from verse 39 that the word Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were being used synonymously at this time in history. But if you know the law with regards to Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you will know that the Passover meal was held at one time, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread was held 24 hours later. We know that the Passover meal happened already. It happened the night before. This was when Jesus was having the Passover with his disciples. So what we have here is we have the preparation day for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On this day, people would be buying a lot of food. Because on this day, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what people could do was they could prepare food. That was an exception of it being a Sabbath day. It was considered to be a Sabbath day with the exception that you could prepare food. And so they prepared a lot of food. And this was the elaborate meal that is known as the Passover Seder. The Passover Seder is held on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Passover meal is held 24 hours earlier, and that is what Jesus was doing with his disciples. There was a preparation day for that as well. There was a preparation day in preparation for the Passover meal. There was a preparation day the next day for the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it turns out in this week when these events are taking place that the seventh day Sabbath happens right after the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so you have another preparation day after that. You have three preparation days in a row The third one is the preparation day for the Sabbath day, the seventh day Sabbath. And then Jesus resurrects from the dead the day after that on Sunday morning. And so if you understand the law with regards to Passover, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the seventh day Sabbath, then you will be able to identify all three days and three nights that Jesus was in the grave. And I explain this in more detail in the series I produced on accounting for the three days and three nights. But here in verse 22, John chapter 19, verse 22, Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written, officially declaring that his involvement 
his participation in Jesus being crucified is now over. Pilate gave in to the extortion, and he is effectively going to do what he can to remove himself from this situation. And I will continue into verse 23 in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 120th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 19, verses 12 to 22, where I explained that Pilate made the decision to crucify Jesus because he was being extorted. This was a decision because of the extortion that was being perpetrated on Pilate by the religious leaders. They extorted him in the sense that if he did not crucify Jesus, they were going to tell Caesar that Pilate was not his friend, that Pilate was not willing to maintain order in the region that he was responsible for, that he allowed someone to get away with an act of sedition. So the decisions that Pilate made after this extortion was presented to him were decisions that were made in order to protect himself. This crucifixion had nothing really to do with Jesus. It had to do with Pilate trying to protect himself from the decisions that other people could have made that could affect his position there in the land. So the way that he presented the judgment and the way that he presented the sign that was displayed where Jesus was crucified were definitive ways in order for Pilate to protect himself. In the next program, I'm going to talk about what happens when Jesus is crucified and the behavior of the soldiers was described as being fulfillment of Scripture. It was fulfillment from a prophetic point of view. And I will refer to those specific passages that John describes as being prophetic and are being fulfilled by the actions of the Roman soldiers. And I will explain this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.